Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, I am joined by Chris Kirsch. Uh, Chris is the co-founder and CEO of RunZero, a digital asset management company. Chris is also a DEF CON Black Badge winner from the 2017 Social Engineering Capture the Flag, and he was also an integral part of the social engineering competition in the social engineering community at DEF CON 2022. Chris, how's it going? Fine. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Well, Chris, this is the first time we've ever actually met, at least face-to-face -face or in person. Um, but we, we, we've had some fairly parallel paths over the last several years. Uh, you competed in the social engineering CTF in 2017. Uh, I competed in 2019, and that was actually my first exposure to open source intelligence. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was kind of a jumping in the deep into the pool way to get started with open source intelligence. Yeah, it was similar to me, similar to me. So when I did the social engineering competition in, in, uh, in 2016 was the first time I participated and, and did poorly. And then 2017, I won. Uh, and uh, the, the surprising thing to me was I, I entered the competition because of the, the, the fishing part, the social engineering part, I thought that was super interesting. But uh, the, the side that I didn't expect I would like that much was the OSINT side. And I learned a ton during that year, really studied for it, you know, like the usual resources. Um, uh, Michael Basil's book uh, was a, a huge part in my learning, podcasts, you know, those kind of things, and really, really studied for both the OSINT and the social engineering part. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that we had that parallel. <laughs> yeah, and exact same experience. Um, when, when I heard about it and decided that I wanted to try my hand at it, I was coming from a human resources background. Um, I did not have a security background at all. And it was the fishing part, like, oh, I can talk to people. Like, how how hard can that be? out? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to anybody on the phone. At, at the time, I was doing recruiting, so my entire job was talking to people and getting them to tell me things. I'm like, oh, this sounds super easy. Like, and then I found out about the OSINT component, and I'm like, oh, I'm not very good at OSINT. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's so interesting. Even, even in HR, there is a a specialty function called talent intelligence. I, I think it's only in very, very large companies where they are using OSINT to figure out what markets should they go into? Where is the right talent? Where is the right, you know, good salary levels? Uh, where can they poach people from a competitor that's doing something similar uh, that, uh, you know, where they don't have to train people as much or where they might be able to, to pick up some skills that are useful for their own company. So OSINT, isn't always called that uh, in, in HR, it's called talent intelligence, you know, uh, but you, you see it everywhere. And one of the things we talked in, in our about in our prep call is how uh, OSINT is so very different in terms of the sources and some of the, the goals that you pull, depending on the category, right? Yeah. So if you're prepping for a social engineering engagement or you know, capture the flag challenge. But if you're if you're prepping for social engineering, um, you could be doing people OSINT or maybe you're doing business OSINT. Um, whereas if you're prepping for a pen test, you know, you're probably doing more network OSINT. Um, 
So that was my, probably my first learning was, okay, I have all these resources in front of me. There's all these frameworks and talks and books that are giving me all these amazing resources. And I had no idea how to put all of them together or, you know, what, what to lean on or what to ignore. So I found myself just, let's just throw it in Multigo and see what that gets me. And the sh short answer is not very much <laughs> or not, not very much <laughs> that was useful to what I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I was hoping we could spend a few minutes just talking through, um, you know, in it, just in the context of social engineering, um, what, you know, what OSINT resources, what OSINT tools um, have, have you found the most useful either in real engagements um, or, you know, competing in a capture the flag challenge? Yeah. So with social engineering, it depends again on what you're trying to achieve, right? The, in the, in the social engineering competition, most of the flags were either IT related flags so VPNs, um, I, I forgot the, the exact list, like, um, operating systems, those kind of things, Wi-Fi, SSID names, or things that would help you get into the company. So um, in, in a physical sense, so things like name of their shredding company or waste management company, janitorial company, badge replacement process, you know, anything that allows you to throw on a uniform, walk in the door without getting challenged. And so for those kind of things, if those are your goals, there's going to be a certain set of uh, OSINT uh, sources that are going to be helpful. But if you are uh, trying to attack a company from a different angle, then it might be something completely different. If you're trying to do a business email compromise, where, we, where you're trying to maybe get the account number of a vendor uh, account changed so that invoices, you know, if, if a company is trying to pay Microsoft or Google and uh, you're account number is attached with Microsoft or Google and you're getting the money, that's a way of how you can monetize a social engineering attack. So if you're researching for that, your, your sources and the types of information that you need are going to be very, very different from this competition or from a network-based attack where you're trying to break into the system from the outside where, you know, like you said, for, for a penetration test, you might do, um, you know, you might look on Shodan or Census, or you might use uh, my company's tool like Run Zero to scan the external perimeter, and and then infer from that. And now we're, I know we're kind of skirting the line between like active scanning and OSINT. They often are um, fuzzy those lines, right? Because Census actively scans, but then you use the data from the previous scan and so on. So I think it's uh, depends. Oftentimes, you know, the, the the only reason that's important in in our context is uh, the rules of a competition. But in a real life scenario, it doesn't matter much whether you're doing an active scan or or using OSINT for that kind of information. So yeah, um, I, I think you mentioned going down a rabbit hole in OSINT, and lots of people say that that they go really deep and they get lost in the in the weeds and so on. What helps, I find, is when you have a very clear target. You want to find out a specific piece of information and you set out with that specific piece of information. In a trace lab search party CTF, it might be, where is that person today? And, and are they still alive? Do I have a sign of life? You know, something like that. In uh, a social engineering competition at DEF CON, it would be something very specific, like 
what is the name of the janitorial company? And then once you have this kind of uh, goal that you're going after, then you can think about, okay, where might I find that information? So for the janitorial company, you could think about, okay, do I find anybody who uh, in their LinkedIn profile or anywhere, you know, or through Google Dorking, can I find the name of the company plus janitor or janitorial? Can I find somebody on LinkedIn who's got a title of janitorial at that company? Can I find a, a lot of people in the competition looked at the website of the building, the, the landlord's building, you know, they're trying to rent out spaces. So they will actually talk about what services they provide as part of the building and sometimes who does the janitorial services. So if you know what you're going after, you can think about uh, different ways to get there. Uh, another example is if you're trying to find a specific technology, let's say a, an antivirus um, or maybe endpoint protection uh, um, solution inside a company. Looking for EDR plus company name on LinkedIn might not yield the right result. But if you look at, okay, what are the top players by market share? And for example, you look, you search for the Gartner Magic Quadrant for endpoint detection and response solutions. And then you take there the, the list of the top five by market share. And you just search for those specific terms plus the name of the company and that can yield you results so you really need to think about okay what is my specific goal that i'm going after and then you figure out what's my best way to get there yeah and that's that's one of these similarities that people would find say comparing a search party ctf to you know a social engineering you know competition is that it all comes down to a list of clearly defined goals or clearly defined pieces of information that then all help you build up this larger picture. You know, in a Trace Lab CTF, we're looking for social media profiles, we're looking for interactions, we're looking for things they liked, you know, things they might have been feeling. In a social engineering competition, you know, you're looking for, you know, tech, you know, te technology stacks, you're looking for vendors, you're looking for information about the building. Um, which those pieces of information on their own are just facts. They're just things, uh, but you can build all those up and tie them together into a really interesting and compelling picture. Um, <clears throat> so that's even, even though the information you're looking for in the respective competitions is going to be different, um, the methodology is the same. And if you, if you don't have that clear that clearly defined set of things you're looking for you're going to kind of spin your wheels so if there wasn't a flag list if, if they just said hey chris you know call this company and see what you can find out okay yeah <laughs> like, yeah i'll try well if you don't have a yeah if you don't have a goal then OSINT is just a, a a pastime it can be interesting you poke around and so on and you might find something but once you have a goal you can really go deep um, and it also depends on, are you trying to uh, learn something for maximum effect or are you trying to optimize for points? So I'll give you an example from the, the Trace Labs search party CTF. I participated a couple of times as a, as a contestant and once as a judge, because I, I thought it was really interesting to see what kind of sources people were using there. And I saw, I always wondered how do people find 
information on the dark web about uh, about the targets. And I thought it was, you know, some real deep dark magic that they were using. But uh, actually, they were just looking at uh, mostly one or two password breach sites and plugging in email addresses. And they just came up with either, yes, there is a, uh, a password breach for that account. So that's a positive, you know, you found an artifact on the dark web. So that's a very high point number or it was associated with a password. Okay, then you get a little bit more information, but that was playing for points. It didn't actually give you more information than if you just looked at, you know, um, have I been pwned or dehashed or something like that. And uh, yeah, and, and that's perfectly fine. If you're in a competition where, where you're going after points, great, do that. Be aware of how the points are allocated and then go after that. If you're in a real life situation, then you want to find you know the the easiest way and most reliable way to find the information and so that changes things a little bit yeah and one of the other similarities i think people would find between our 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 respective challenges is this is the quote-unquote real world um this is not mm -hmm. a set up scenario if you're yeah. hacking a box um there's a flag in there somewhere if you dig deep enough and work hard enough and keep trying, you know, you should find it. And if you don't, it was there. You just didn't have the right technique or, you know, the right skills or knowledge to find that flag. But it, it, but it, I assure you there is a flag inside that box. Uh, that's not true in real life. <laughs> um, and uh, our, our, our respective competitions, I think, do a good job of showcasing that. So when you're going through the Trace Lab CTF flag list, maybe those flags don't exist. Maybe that person just doesn't have that information online or in such a way that we could find it within the the, uh, the time constraints of the competition. If you're doing a social engineering challenge, maybe you just can't find, maybe the building doesn't have trash service or maybe they don't have vendors or maybe you just can't find them because it's not out there. Um, that's like realizing that like sounds very fundamental or obvious like well of course they might not be there but when you're in the middle of it trying to find it you can lose sight of that and just keep digging and digging and digging and really just wasting your time and resources do you want to talk through your experience on the social engineering side yeah and that's exactly it. when you're a contestant and you're trying to maximize your points if you can't find something at what point do you stop searching because you don't know if it's actually out there. You could be there forever and never find anything. Mm -hmm. So um, that was one of the most frustrating things going through these kind of exercises, you know? And uh, in this year's social engineering competition at DEF CON, they did something a little bit different from previous years, which was they assigned the same target to two teams. Each target was assigned to two teams which is actually similar to the search party CTF where you also have you, have, you know, you have 10 targets and they're assigned to everybody. So you could do a similar type of research there. And then um, I wanted to know, uh, was there a, I, I compared the, the findings from uh, one team that had the same target as another team. And I wanted to know, did the leading team find all the results? Or was there something that the runner-up team found that the leading team didn't? And what was really interesting was that 
between all the different uh, teams, and I think there were 16 of them, each leading team missed a flag that the runner-up team, the competing team, found. And it was between one and four objectives that they, uh, that they missed, but it was at least one. So if we take this as a learning, which is very frustrating, even if you're the leading team in the competition, you missed a flag. And maybe you just have to live with that. But it's also an indication that maybe if you dug a little deeper, you would have found something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it is such a good showcase of, you know, intelligence in the real world. Um, whether you're working for a Fortune 500 company, a startup, or, you know, in the actually just out there in the intelligence community, you're probably never going to have all the information you want. You just have to make some sometimes tough decisions on, am, am I going to make a decision based off of the information I have in front of me? Um, <clears throat> so I would, I would urge people just from my own personal experience, um, the more you do this, the easier that decision is going to be to make. Um, you know, if it's your very first CTF, you know, maybe you do dig too deep and just spend too much time, but that's a learning to say, okay, this situation I'm in now feels like that last time I dug too deep. Maybe I just need to pivot over to some different flags or, you know, take a, take a step back and just take a break. Um, that comes with experience. Unfortunately, there is no, unfortunately that I'm aware of like, Oh, Hey, you know, spend at least X amount of time on each flag or on each piece of information you want, or just it's unfortunately an art and a science. Yeah. No, and you know, if I just compare this with my day job, I, I, I run a company. I never have perfect information, right? I never have perfect information. I just need to figure out, is the information I have good enough? And how much does it cost me in terms of time and effort and so on to get better information to make a better decision? And if that's not feasible, then I just got to make a decision with the, with the data that I have. But it also depends on what is the impact of getting it wrong. So if we're thinking about a competition here, so the social engineering competition at DEF CON, you know, uh, if I get it wrong, not a huge impact. I might have a wrong piece of information on my call and tank because of that, but the impact isn't great. So for example, <laughs> the first year I did the competition, I found a lease agreement for the target company and their lease was uh, running out in a, in a few months and they'd already broken ground on a new facility. So I knew they were, they were moving and the moving date. So I tried to impersonate a, a, the, the landlord's company of the old place and called the facility manager saying like, hey, we have some tenants that want to come by and have a look at the building because they want to move in. And so uh, <laughs> that got sh shut down pretty hard because he said like, we just re-signed the lease three weeks ago. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> So here I didn't have the right information and, you know, but the impact of that was okay. I, I tanked the call, but, uh, you know, nobody died. If you are doing OSINT and you're getting a predator arrested or you are uh, targeting a terrorist uh, who might get assassinated, the stakes are way higher. You want to be really sure that you have the right person and that your evidence is solid. Right? So it really depends on, on the context. Uh, and 
and also the what makes sense to invest as in times and resources to figure out the right answer. And quite honestly, OSINT is one way to get an answer in real life, but it's not the only way. There's also other sources, you know, there's HUMANT, uh, if we're staying in the same kind of classification of information, right? Mm -hmm. So information that you get from humans, human sources, friends, acquaintances, stuff like that. Um, so in, in a real life scenario, you'll probably tap other intelligence sources. In the competitions, you're very boxed into what you're allowed to use. Yeah, it's um, OSINT is definitely just one part of an overall intelligence picture or one part of a decision-making process. Um, I really like that you called out um, like what your time is worth or the, you know, how much does it cost you to keep investigating, to keep digging? And that's one thing I think that both of these competitions do a pretty decent job of trying to demonstrate, you know, in the context of a trace lab CTF, you only have between four and six hours to get this information. So time you're spending on one thing is time you're not spending on potentially a richer, you know, source of points or a richer source of information. Um, in a social engineering competition, you know, the time you're spending just trying to find the food service vendor is time you could have spent trying to find, you know, something else, yeah, um, you yeah. know, exploring a phone tree or exploring LinkedIn. Um, and those, the, the, those might sound silly, but that's what it's like in the real world. You only, if, if this is your day job, you only have so much time to collect information before either a decision has to be made or information has to be presented. Um, so I would, I would encourage people to take that seriously in these competitions because that could assist you later on, you know, if this is something you're doing in, in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in these competitions, you're, you're time bound. The, the interesting thing is that what your time is worth um, in the competition, you've got the, the internal inside the competition, the trade off, you know, do I work on one flag versus another? Or do I work on uh, one missing person versus another, right? But, but you've already decided you're going to commit the time to this endeavor. So you're, you know, it's neither here nor there, uh, whether you're going to invest the time in, in a, in your job, for example, that's very different. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but I think it all comes back to, and I probably hit on this in every single podcast. So I apologize for any of our uh, repeat listeners, but it really comes down to having a clearly defined goal in mind. Like, you know, what am I trying to achieve by you know, with this information or what is this information trying to support and then breaking that larger goal down into smaller pieces, you know, AKA the flag list. That's how a lot of investigations are going to work. And if you get used to approaching things with that sort of like methodology or that methodical nature, um, it can really, really benefit you if this is something you're doing outside of the context of a game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Chris, in your in your role at DEF CON this past August in 2022, um, you got to see all the information, and that sounds it, it, it sounds an analogous to maybe you know judging behind the scenes for a Trace Labs event, but uh, you got to see all the OSINT submitted, 
um, and you got to dig through and find some pretty interesting trends. Um, you put, you put all this together in a really, really good blog post that we'll link down in the show notes, but I was hoping we could spend a few minutes just talking through what you saw kind of, you know, working on the back end. Yeah. Uh, what I was interested in, for example, was what were the most common OSINT sources that people were consulting for all sorts of flags, because it's it's interesting that people always ask about like what tools are you using what sources are you using in OSINT it's mostly secondary I, I think the basic techniques of uh, understanding your your goal and and you know the techniques of uh, pivot points and, and and those kind of things are more important but I also wanted to look at uh, what are the most common OSINT sources for this competition doesn't mean that for your particular task, these are good sources. But for this type of competition, these seem to be good sources. So the top one that I found, which was very surprising to me, was YouTube. Uh, and it was surprising to me because YouTube isn't very searchable. You can, of course, search for the title and you know some descriptions and those kind of things, but you can't search for very specific detailed information. And uh, having done the competition myself in the past, what I did is I, I looked at all sorts of videos about the company that were on the YouTube corporate YouTube channel or sometimes uh, an individual's YouTube channel. And I just watched those frame by frame and tried to find objectives in those videos. So it's not that I start out with a particular flag in mind and then find a um, the result. I start out by just screening what's out there about the company and trying to find the objectives inside of that um, inside of that information. And so with YouTube, um, if we're uh, let me just bring up that that chart from the blog post because I don't know this by heart. For YouTube, things that a lot of uh, contestants found was uh, physical access control. So do they have um, you know, those badge in kind of turnstiles? Do they have a just a lock on the door if it's a smaller facility? Do they have a pin pad, something like that, a card swipe uh, with a door? So physical access control, YouTube was pretty good. Uh, company lingo, if they had any public trainings or they were talking about the company, day in the life at XYZ company, you know, there's a lot of HR videos for recruitment purposes out there. Surprisingly, also the operating system and browser uh, that is in use in that company, because oftentimes people did screen shares for webinars. So you can look at uh, what is the browser that, you know, a lot of webinars include uh, browser screen shares because they're presenting web apps. So you see the browser there. You often, if they share the whole screen, see the system tray in the bottom right corner. So you can see uh, VPNs, you can see uh, endpoint detection platforms. You can see uh, all sorts of, of of interesting things, right? Maybe a mail client or something like that. And so YouTube was a really good source for that. Also for uh, sometimes onboarding videos, IT onboarding videos for new employees up on YouTube. So those are a wealth of information where you find out about you know how to connect to your um, to your email and do you need uh, multi-factor authentication, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah and then and the, sorry. Oh, um, <clears throat> I was just going to say, um, 
I, I did want to point out that this might sound counter to, I think, everything that I just talked through. Um, intelligence collection is a time-consuming process. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, I, know I, I spent several minutes talking through, you know, knowing when to stop, but I, I think you just did a, an amazing job of explaining it's still going to take a while. It's still going to be frame-by-frame frame, frame videos. It's still going to be scrolling through web pages um it, it's going to be time consuming no matter how you cut it yeah yeah absolutely and you know between the the 16 teams that were in the competition i read 2000 pages of reports so it was a lot to get through uh, most teams spent between 40 and 120 hours on the reports that's a lot of time right that's a lot of time and uh in the, I think that's also why the search party CTFs are time bound, because you want to make sure that you get as much focus on a on a problem in a short amount of time as you can, and you're crowdsourcing the whole thing. I think if you didn't have the whole thing time bound, in either competition, people would probably fall off a cliff and find them <laughs> in an internet internet connected cabin in the woods somewhere. <laughs> Yes, those those uh, time constraints are to protect us from ourselves more often than not. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was shocked when I read that that blog post um, that that YouTube was such a rich source of information. Partly because I'm like, oh, I wish I would have had this blog post when I was competing. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But uh, but. I think it really does call out the the creative nature of intelligence collection um, and really understanding like what you're after. So reading through the blog post, oh yeah, well of course that makes sense. Like these companies are posting all this information, you know, in these videos and it's all right there. Um, so I would urge people to really just think through, you know, whatever their quote unquote flag list is. Um, and then just get creative with where that information might be. Um, yeah, there were a, a couple in here where I thought like, oh, this is super creative and this is uh, very new. So uh, one of them was Matterport. Matterport is a solution that lets you walk through a building as like a virtual office tour or a virtual building tour. And so some people used that to walk through the company office. Uh, because I put a, a, nice. a building tour online, they were trying to showcase this because they, I think part of the services was this Matterport kind of like virtual tour offering. And uh, they found a Wi-Fi code up on the wall somewhere. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, this is not dorkable. You, you can't search for this on Google. You just got to dig, right? Yeah. Um, the other one that I thought was uh, really interesting was a um somebody used recon ng which is a tool that a lot of you will be familiar with and apparently there is a cache snoop module in there that tells you which domains and subdomains are cached on that uh, company's dns server so if you then look for the subdomains that you typically reach out to for antivirus updates if those are cached that's an indicator that that solution is being used inside the target company. So I thought that was a really, really smart way of uh, figuring out what uh, antivirus solutions were being used. Nice. Those are all really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> and I have a, in my, in my blog post, I have a map 
for all the different objectives and uh, how many people found them on which source. So if you're competing next year or if you're, you know, if your OSINT day job is a similar profile of what we're trying to find here, you can look there and you can just see, okay, where are the hotspots of, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a heat map where you can see mm -hmm. uh, these types of information were found on these sources. Is there, you know, so having been a competitor and, you know, now, you know, seeing kind of everything behind the scenes uh, with the social engineering competition, uh, what do you wish you would have known then that you know now? So for me, the OSINT part, I was actually okay with. For the social engineering part, one thing that uh, was my, my biggest mistake the first year um, was that I had sourced individual phone numbers, like phone numbers of individuals rather than phone numbers that are a pooled resource, like a, a call center or a reception desk or a, a store where somebody somebody will pick, pick up. You don't know who's going to pick up, but somebody will pick up. The reason I had chosen the phone numbers of individuals in the first year was because I was targeting a B2B company. It was actually a security hardware company. And uh, I had a Saturday call slot. And I thought if I call on a Saturday, nobody's going to be in the office. So I researched uh, the personal cell phone numbers of people that I wanted to target. And, uh, you know, with, with robocalls, people screen their, uh, their, their unknown phone numbers. I was spoofing the number of the company headquarter. I later learned that that particular company really works their employees very hard. And so nobody picks up the phone on the weekends when that number calls. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a mistake. And um, one of the reasons I'm, I made that mistake as well was because I'd seen so many callers getting stuck in, in these pooled resource numbers um, that have a a strong process component to them. So let me give you an example to bring that to life because this sounds very complex. If you call a support hotline, they're going to have a very specific process of, you know, authenticating you as the right, you know, as a, a, a name on the account, you might need an account number, you might need some, uh, you know, some way to authenticate yourself. They're only going to answer specific questions about the product to help you out. It's going to be very hard to get them off script and to answer the stuff that you want to know about. And I just saw too many contestants getting stuck there, either you know, simply in the hold line on a support or customer service line. Um, and then uh, the, the, the process script really took a lot of them down. And I think those kind of uh, departments are also better trained on deflecting uh, social engineering attempts than some of the average employees. So the second year, which was the year that I won, I focused on numbers that were pooled, but that weren't trained well. So in this particular instance, it was a, a, a bigger company that year. The company was uh, sorry. The, the the theme of the competition was gaming and toys. So I had a, 
a toy company that mostly sold through other retailers, but they had a handful of their own retail outlets. So I uh, targeted those retail outlets because those folks are typically not well-trained when it comes to uh, social engineering deflection. They are probably higher turnover. They're not as well paid, probably a lot of minimum wage employees there. And so I thought those would make a really good target. And yeah, and, and it worked out really well <laughs> when I took that path. It, it doesn't work with all companies. Every company, every target, every situation is different. So you've just got to have a look at what you find and, and what's feasible. Very good. I think my biggest takeaway, um, even though I did not do well um, in my, my uh, showing during the uh, competition, I still had a, I learned a, a, a lot and um my my biggest takeaway um that i kind of understood then but i really understand now <clears throat> is the the value of enumeration in open source intelligence and what i mean by that is in people osint if my handle is human decoded you're going to want to find human decoded on every platform imaginable. Um, there are some great tools like what's my name um, that can do that for you um, in a very automated fashion, but that enumeration um, is gonna provide you with a, hopefully a large number of pivot points and other places to find information about human decoded. Um, <clears throat> in the context of you know a company I wish I would have thought through more, like more of that. Like, okay, I have this one piece of information. Um, how can I systematically work through that? So an example of, of one thing I did um, during my, my research into my company was the, the root of the company's headquarters phone number. We'll just say it was 1111. Okay, let's see mm -hmm. what 1112 is and three and four and five. And then <laughs> I worked my way through their entire phone tree and I was able to sketch out uh, based off of voice because I did this after hours, um, you know, everyone's voicemail. Hey, this is, you know, this is Tom Hawker. Well, let's find out who Tom Hawker is. Okay, that's the number for Tom in accounting, um, you know, thanks to LinkedIn. Um, so like, I thought that was fairly clever and it worked out okay for me. Um, I got some, some good contacts there. Um, but like, I wish I would have maybe thought through apply that same methodology to the rest of my research but um you know most most things have a structure to them it's finding creative ways to exploit that st structure is our job as investigators yeah yeah actually what, what you did by hand there uh my co-founder hd Moore a, a while ago this is probably a decade ago now uh, he created a tool called warbox it's an open source tool. I, I don't think it's maintained anymore. I think you, you can still get it to work, but I think it's a little tricky. And uh, so that basically uses war dialing techniques on a an IP SIP line and uh, can do a, a ton of calls in parallel and then fingerprint what it hears. You know, this is a fax machine. This is a modem. This is uh, the standard message from this type of PBX and so on. You can just dial entire cities or countries overnight. Uh, so <laughs> I was just so the Starbucks by the hotel at 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, um, 
there are so many weird and wonderful applications to that. Um, I think he did it more as a proof of concept, and it's not really a tool that uh, a lot of people use. But yeah, enumerating <laughs> phone trees and organizations or even entire countries, you, you can do a ton with. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's on the on the cusp of OSINT again, because you're actively interacting with something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with with a target rather than taking a third party source. But yeah, I, I think it's a perfectly legitimate way to figure out information without the target. Well, sometimes the target could notice, but it's less likely, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, the sensitivity at, of your of your research. Yeah. Um, in in my example, after the fact, I was kind of curious if you know, like m maybe that following Monday, if people are sitting down for lunch, like, hey, did, did you get a missed call from this random phone? I got that same call. I wonder what that was all about. They didn't leave a voicemail. Like that's, this company just got a thousand calls from my burner yeah. phone over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, <clears throat> like I, I think that, that competing in, you know, any, any, any kind of competition, whether it's social engineering, you know, trace lab search party, hacking a box, um, I think those can be really, really good resources for people that would like to develop their skills in a way that, you know, could be applicable, you know, maybe in, in their current day job. In the case of me, it helped me pivot into a career um, in InfoSec. Um, what are some things, Chris, like you hope that your teams in the SE challenge like took away from the experience or, the, or that you took away personally from your own experience? So I'm, I've been using OSINT for a ton of different things um, that are not really related to the same kind of topics. So for example, um, I've used uh, OSINT for competitive intelligence, figuring out um, for a competitor, who is who are their customers? What's their strategy? What's their pricing? Um, what are their strengths and weaknesses of the product? You know anything that would help you from a sales, marketing, or a strategy perspective. And so the the sources you use for that are very different again because you're going after different types of information. And I can send you a link. I gave a, a talk about that um, one at the Recon Village at DefCon, but the newer version of that is from the Layer Eight Conference. And so okay. I'll send you that one and you can include it in the show notes. Uh, that one I've, competitive intelligence is probably what I've used OSINT the most on. Uh, also, if you are, uh, if any of your listeners are working in a sales job, there are tons of sources that you can use for um, prospecting. So prospecting means finding a suitable target. Now for sales prospecting, you're, invested time is very valuable. So you don't want to go as deep as you uh, do with uh, like an investigation where you're trying to find a missing person because your, your payoff just isn't going to be the same. But if you can figure out, for example, um, job ads, I think are a, a great OSINT source uh, where you can look at a job that uh, a company is hiring for and you can look for what types of things they're hiring for, what types of technologies they're using or they'd like to bring on board, the skill sets, the problems that they have and so on. And if you use that information to then find the hiring manager or the person responsible for that general area and you cater your outreach or your, um, how do you say that? 
you you uh, specify all of these things that you've learned from these open sources from the job ad in your outreach, then you can have a much higher response rate because it's just that much more tailored to what the person is experiencing and what their problems are. So you can use it in, in all sorts of areas. Uh, one organization that I used to be involved in, I just don't have the time anymore, is uh, the NCPTF, the National Child Protection Task Force. And so if you like the kind of uh, competitions with Trace Labs, uh, where you're looking into individuals and trying to help finding missing people, uh, the NCPTF is a collaboration between the information security industry and law enforcement, mostly to find either missing children or to find uh, human predators um, that are going after children. And so uh, that's really rewarding because like with Trace Labs, you're actually doing good for the world and you're applying your OSINT expertise. A lot of law enforcement doesn't have a ton of training, especially if they're a you know local police department somewhere working on a case. Uh, and the NCPTF provides training and expertise and on-case help uh, for those kind of searches. So um, yeah, that's just a shout out to them. Really good organization. Certainly. Um, I think from, <clears throat> from my own personal experience, the things that I hope that our contestants take away from the experience would be the importance of not only clearly defined goals, but also clearly defined rules of engagement. And I think that's one thing that, that both of our competitions, um, do a very, very good job with. So in a trace lab CTF, you know, there's only passive reconnaissance, uh, collection techniques. So we are not calling people on the phone. We are not um, interacting um, with any 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 facet of the investigation. We're just out there collecting information passively. Um, do you want to talk through some of the rules of engagement um, of the social engineering competition, Chris? Yeah. So the rules of engagement are in, during the OSINT part, you're not allowed to reach out to the company in any way. So you're not allowed to collect human. You are allowed to do what, what you did, which is to put yourself on mute and call certain numbers just to verify that they actually work. Um, you can enumerate a phone tree um, to, to figure out what numbers you need to punch in to get to a certain extension. Um, but apart from that, you can't interact with the company at all. And so you have about three weeks to write your OSINT report then you have a couple of weeks or so, two, three weeks before DEF CON. And then at DEF CON, you go up in the booth and you have, uh, I think it was 20, 30 minutes, something like that, uh, 30 minutes to call your target and to elicit a specific list of things over the phone. Um, so that list has been vetted so that it doesn't uh, fall afoul of any laws. So you cannot ask for um, social security numbers, credit cards, passwords, those kind of things. But you can ask for things that are also sensitive, but legal to obtain. So things like, um, what is their uh, VPN solution? What is their, um, vendor check-in process at the, at the desk? Uh, what antivirus, what browser, what operating system, you know, those kind of things you can elicit that. And the objective that gives you the most points is when you actually convince somebody on the phone to go to a, a specific 
web address. Um, so that web address basically uh, in, in a real life scenario, you could host malware there and infect the person's machine. And then you're basically, you've got a first foothold on the network. You can then explore from there and uh, do lateral movement to, to move to other machines. In this contest, for, uh, of course, we don't allow that. So they only get a random number on the screen at that time so that the target can read the number back and confirm that they actually went to the site. Right. So it's a simulation of what an attack would look like, but with the goal of educating both the contestants and the audience, there's a few hundred people in the audience that listen to these live live calls. And uh, you also don't want to harm the company. So, for example, in my uh, in my uh, write up on the blog, I did not talk about the companies that we targeted. I didn't name them because it's not a shaming exercise. It's a, an exercise to actually learn how do social engineering attacks work and uh, how do you prevent them? And, uh, but you have to be careful in, in what you learn from it, because for example, the sources uh, that I used for OSINT, but also the, um, the, the, the phishing attack vectors were specific to the types of objectives that people had. So most people did an IT security audit pretext or help desk reaching out, you know, so an IT based pretext to phone their target. But if I wanted to do a business email compromise, which is equally damaging to a company, I would probably phone and I'd pretend to be a vendor, or I would uh, pretend to be somebody from accounting or somebody who is uh, who's buying a piece of software internally, like the business owner of the software, talking to the accounting department saying, Hey, you know, these guys have a new, uh, have a new account number. Can you get that changed for me? So the learnings we have from this competition don't necessarily apply to everything that a company needs to take care about in terms of social engineering. Yeah. And I guess I can't overstate the importance of clearly defined rules of engagement in the in the context of our competitions it's to keep our contestants safe it's to maintain the integrity of the competition um but those same roes exist in real life if you're doing a pen test there will be a scope <laughs> there is yeah. like there will be things you can't touch things you're not supposed to try to access buildings you can't go into um, if you're, if you work you know, in law enforcement, you, yes. you have to stick to the rules, right? Uh, both to keep it legal, but also to not tip off your target. Yeah. So there yeah. will, if you're, if you're working on what I call the right side of things, there will always be some kind of ROE. There's things you can't do, things you can't touch, people you can't talk to. Um, and understanding that, especially as maybe someone who's new to the field, who's new to OSINT, um, that's a very, very important lesson to learn and one that can be costly if you learn it too late. So I think that's one mm, thing that our yeah. our various uh, communities do very, very well is reinforcing yeah. those ROEs. And also uh, with the TraceLab search party CTF, there are, if, if you're looking for a missing person, there's a family there on the other side that is going through a really hard time and if you contact them, or if you uh, put something out there that could be seen as a sign of life, 
you're really messing with that person's emotion mm-hmm. uh, emotions and uh so staying on the bright side of the line here is really important for that yeah, yeah. and also so you don't interfere with a police investigation yes yep yeah so trying to to maintain not only the the safety of our contestants the the safety of the missing person in the family but also the integrity of the investigation as well yeah indeed well chris this time has been amazing um it's been really really interesting to finally meet you face to face quote unquote even though we're on a zoom call um our our paths have been in parallel for quite a number of years now. So I'm looking forward to maybe DEF CON next year. Maybe we'll meet in person. Um, if not, Absolutely. I certainly look forward uh, to our next conversation. Is there anything you would like to add before we drop off? Where could people find you? What would you like them to know about? Anything like that? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore Kirsch or also uh, now Chris underscore Kirsch at infosec.exchange on Mastodon. Um, and uh, if you want to check out uh, my company, that is runzero.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find out there. If you're if you're into OSINT, you shouldn't struggle. <laughs> Chris is what we call a target-rich environment. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very easy to find. I'm very careful what I share. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. Um, I'll be sure to to drop um, everything down in the the uh, show notes, um, link to the blog post, link to everything uh, Chris just shared, and anything else he would like to share. Chris, I look forward to our next conversation. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>